0: We're no prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See Website for details.
1: Dr. Veronica Anderson is an MD, and for her that means many dimensions. She's a surgeon, a mother, a black belt, and a two-time marathon runner. Here to talk to you about your health, your happiness, and your world. It's wellness for the real world with Dr. Veronica. Today, this is a really interesting show. This is the kind of stuff that we all like to hear about and talk about, and it's on my favorite subject. I told you guys my favorite subject has to do with sex, but people think that in just such a salacious way all the time. This is the story that you want to hear because we've all kind of have fantasies, and some of our fantasies, if for women, you'll understand, we don't want to admit this, would be to be like a mistress of a very wealthy man or a high-priced call girl. And we don't let people know these type of things because it's sort of like a romantic type thing that we feel like if people know that we think like that, they're going to look down on us, and especially for those of us who are professional women. Now, I'm a physician, and you'd think only people who are low-lives have these type of fantasy or even consider doing these type of things. Well, interesting in my life like right now, I have met more than one woman who are well-educated, professional women who have had this type of life. And today we're going to have one of those women on the show. And this is just exciting and interesting to me because this woman actually wrote a book chronicling her relationship as a mistress. Um, And she is a psychologist, too. She's well-educated and chose to have this type of life. And we're going to talk to her about why she chose to have it and the experimental life that she's living now. And let me just tell you, women, I'm not trying to force people out there to be paid to have sex or anything like that. I'm not promoting that. I know a lot of women are taken advantage of in those type of situations. And there are women who do that because they feel like they can do nothing else. But there are those of us who do it by choice because we've realized that when we can call the shot, We can live the life that we want to live. And that includes in relationships and sex. And guess what? It's very outside of what the traditional white picket fence life and marriage is. So I'm going to welcome right now author Holly Hill. Hello, Holly. How are you? Hello. Hello. It's nice to speak to you, Dr. Veronica.
2: It's it's wonderful to be on the program.
1: Thanks so much. I want everybody to know Holly is a minor celebrity. She's been dinnering with CNN, has ABC tours. And you have a best-selling book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your best-selling book?
2: Well, I guess the, the main, you know, you, get, you, you spoke about it quite well in that the main thing was that I, I found myself facing bankruptcy, to be honest. I was uh, in a very professional position, a good career, and I was naive enough, perhaps stupid enough, to have an affair with a married man. And he put me on what he described to be the mistress plan. And I gave up my successful career. Uh, I gave up my job and I went on the mistress plan and then the relationship crumbled. Okay. Um, So let me ask you
1: this. Let me ask you this. Um, First, you're saying I got involved with a married man and people would probably say, well, that was your downfall. First, tell me a little bit about how you met this man because The world is complicated. We meet people all over this place, especially those of us who are professional women. We have lots of opportunity to meet men. How did you meet this gentleman?
2: I met him at a party, and I'm ashamed to say I was a naive country girl, and suddenly this amazing man who had beautiful clothes and uh, incredible wealth uh, was uh, attracted to me. He was flirting with me, and I had stars in my eyes. I was naive. I was young. I was innocent. And for the first time in my life, I had a man that seemed to be powerful and rich and wealthy. And it wasn't until after he almost, I guess, captured my heart that I found out he was married. And by then it was too late. I had fallen terribly in love with him. And it was the end of my naivety in, in so many ways.
1: Okay, so tell me, when this was happening, because people could say, how could you not know he's married? I mean, this is what we all think. You knew he was married. How could you not know he was married? He didn't have a ring. Was he able to meet you at times other than just, you know, in the middle of the day during the week when he was sneaking away from work? How did you not know he was married?
2: He didn't have a ring. And this is one of the things that uh, perhaps your listeners should be aware of. Men are quite unscrupulous in the pursuit of uh, extramarital affairs and sex and often they actually take their rings off as did this man and what you need to be looking for is the mark of a ring on his ring finger which I have since found out and the interesting thing is now when I go to pubs and bars and things there is an awful lot of men in the room with a ring that has obviously been removed from their, their index finger and that in itself is quite horrifying. <laughs>
1: But um there are a group of men who just never wore a ring, though, these days. Isn't that true?
2: Yeah, I, I guess I would be worried if my husband didn't want to wear a ring. And one of the things that I have discovered out of all of this, though, is that the cheating isn't about sex. Cheating is about lying. Cheating is about being dishonest to the person that you love. And that a relationship needs to define uh cheating for themselves so for one lady it it might be kissing someone else for another lady it might be perving at other women for someone else it might be having sex so so each married couple or each boyfriend and girlfriend need to define the boundaries of their relationship and what is committed and what is not and then stay within those boundaries
1: so one thing i just got to interject right here you have such a beautiful accent i'm sure everybody's going to be listening where is she
2: (laughs) from so tell us where you're from I'm from Sydney, Australia, and uh, but my is interesting, <laughs> but, Yeah, and but my father was English, and so when my accent became very broad, which some Australian accents do become, my father would mock me, and I would get home, and I would say, "Oh, you know, I'm doing something good on Sunday," oh, and my father would go, "Sunday." What's well, Sunday and I'd go Sunday dad and he would um he would laugh at me and and make me say it properly. <laughs> Which whatever properly is. So yeah. you, you
1: grew up in Sydney, Australia. You became a professional woman before you met this married man?
2: Oh yes, I I was a worked as a psychologist and I specialized in dealing with people that were depressed mostly uh, for the Commonwealth Rehabilitation Service. So I had a client workload that included uh, some very, very depressed. I had one person that had been sexually abused for a long time. I had another client who I found very difficult to deal with who was a pedophile, a young oh, boy okay. who in himself was a pedophile, which was awful. Wow. Um, he had been wow. abused as well. Um, and so I had a very heavy client load, and so as you can imagine going in and seeing people like that all day, every day, uh, five days a week, um, when a man comes along and waves this mistress plan in front of you, it's it's a tempting thing, and I'm kind of glad it happened know. now. You you know, it was a know mistake it was the, the time. Mistress.
1: You didn't know but it was the mistress plan when you first met him, though. You met him, and... I assumed that he charmed you in in the normal ways that men charm women. Is that what happened?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, but but what came out of that and I guess this is where the book is in that my relationship with this the first married man was was, you know, fairly brief. Um but what came out of that is he, you know, uh, I we fell in love. I said, "Well, you need to tell your wife. We can't keep lying to her." So he told his wife and he said, well, if you don't leave, she said, if you don't leave this woman, I'm going to kill myself and your two children. And so we immediately stopped the relationship. There was no way I was going to to be that kind of threat to anyone. And but what happened from that was overnight, I had no income. I had, you know, a mortgage to pay pay electricity bills, and I had not a single cent coming in.
1: Now, how did you let yourself get in that situation? You're a professional woman with an advanced degree. You have a career, and you end up being what I would term a kept woman with no means of support for yourself. And so all of a sudden, how did you get yourself in that situation? Didn't you think at the time? I mean, you know, my mother always says, God bless the child, that has got her own. Okay, yeah. And you got yourself in a situation where you were in financial peril um, and yes. because you p- trusted this man who at a certain point you knew was married and so there was something about him that wasn't fully above board. How did you get into this situation? Is this something that you find women get into commonly? I suspect so.
2: Um, you know, I'm a fairly, especially now, having been through all of this, I'm a pretty switched on lady these days, and when I look back, I whilst I certainly wasn't the person I am today, um, I was fairly clever lady, and so someone to 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 do pull the wool over my eyes, so to speak, um, sent off all of my warning bells and. I guess that's why I've written the books that I have so that other women understand that men under the influence of testosterone can be very unscrupulous and and women need to to be strong and to harness that uh, sexual drive that men have to work for us rather than against us.
1: Sure. Now tell me just a little bit more about when you met this man. How long did, you said it was a brief affair. What is brief? How long? Um,
2: it, It was pretty much exactly six months. And we actually started looking for apartments. And it was so exciting, you know, to be looking on the Internet and and looking at apartments and where we were going to live. Uh, We had a a lovely Christmas, actually. And I bought a whole heap of presents for people that I love that were probably far too generous when I look back at it because I thought I was on a good wicket, as we say in Australia. And (laughs) bought all of these presents, racked up my credit card, I um, assumed I was going to be living this wonderful life and on Boxing Day, he dumped me basically and what happened was that he declared his undying love for me to his wife and she said, well, if that is the case, if you don't leave this woman, um, I'm going to kill myself and your children. And so naturally, as it should... The relationship immediately stopped, but I found myself penniless, and I had credit cards and rent and electricity pills to pay, and it was a dreadful position to find myself. So spiritually, emotionally, professionally, financially, everything was devastated with a single phone call.
1: So give me an idea of a couple things. First of all, how wealthy was this man? If you could estimate a net worth, what would you say it was?
2: The man would be what we call in Australia a zillionaire. So, very, so very, very, he very, very wealthy. Well. Yeah, a couple of mansions, um, uh, many, many millions of dollars. And he said at one stage, and I wrote this in the book, that $5 for me was about $5,000 for him. So what I would spend $5 on... He would spend a thou, you know, five thousand dollars on, which gives people a bit of an idea of of what the wealth of these types of men have.
1: And what? How much money was he actually providing for
2: you? At that stage, he was pretty much providing anything that I needed. So he had provided his credit card. I could put anything on the credit card, and. To, for, the, for the record, I guess, I didn't ever ask for anything. Um, so he would turn up with a DVD player, for example, because uh, you know I regarded such things as, as frivolous expenses at that stage of my life. And so he wanted to be comfortable when he went around to my place. So we had the state-of-the-art DVD player. We had the state-of-the-art camera. We had the, um, you know, he would see what was missing in my life and provide these these wonderful things.
1: So, so it, was that like $2,500 a month, $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month? What would you yep. estimate at the heyday of it all he was spending keeping you? Keeping me. I was cheap, to be
2: honest. I, he <laughs> I probably only spent... Um, Probably about $2,000 because that's what I was used to living within. It was the the endless gifts and the the, the dining in incredible restaurants and the drinking $200 bottles of wine. These were the things that were so extraordinary to the little country girl that um, had never been treated like this in her life before.
1: So before this gentleman, had you dated anybody
2: of means? No, absolutely not and we come from a a, a very hard working family, none of us have been born with silver spoons in our mouths and it was very much drilled into us as children that you work and you gather your superannuation, you pay your taxes, you are a good person And you would never in a million years think of going on things like the mistress plan.
1: But now, here's the thing. I think that in the American society, and I'm not sure about how it is in the Australian society, we almost make men with money deities. And we all, as women, feel like even when we have our own, we want one of them. There's something about it that it's powerful, it's sexy, it's all those things. Do you think that's why you fell into this so easily?
2: Yes, I think you're probably absolutely right. It wasn't the man himself that I fell in love with. It was the idea of a man that didn't have to, to work every day in an office like the rest of us more, mere mortals have to do or, you know, spreading concrete or here was a powerful man that everyone wanted to know and he wanted to know me and so, Yes, I I think it was the idea of the man rather than the man himself when I look back.
1: And do you think that the nature of the relationship was like really of a normal relationship now that you look at it? And even when then, because you're a psychologist, so you can't plead ignorance on what relationships would look like. You said, this man fell in love with me, we had undying love, but yet, boom, like that. Now, I understand there were some extenuating circumstances but boom, like that, he cut everything off and you were left without, basically. Yes. Do you feel that that's normal or you think it was just he had been threatened and had to take it really seriously? If you love somebody, how could you leave them high and dry like that? That's what I ask about.
2: I asked myself that probably every day for at least a year afterwards, my heart was well and truly broken. I couldn't understand how someone could go from such wonderful love to nothing overnight. And um, we called each other Braveheart, Lionheart, my apologies. Um, we were both Leos and, you know, we had pet names for each other and we would send each other text messages at least 20 times a day. It was the love, that, almost like a naive love, a teenage love, um, a weak at the knees, pounding heart love. And, uh, now when I look back, it, it, it wasn't love, I don't think, but, uh, I'm a much wiser woman these days, and if I can possibly help other women from avoiding such relationships, well, I will do everything in my power to do that.
1: Yeah, see, I, I, I agreed. What I think happened. Um, and, you know, we, we really romanticize what love is, but I don't think that we really define what it is, and I think love really is an action word, and when you get into the early stages of a relationship, it's more infatuation. There's an attraction because you're beautiful, he's rich, the sex is good, life seems great, and you're in the honeymoon phase of the relationship, but you really don't know the person until you've been with them for a period of time. I mean, you. I, I would bet that you were in a relationship for such a short period of time. You never even had an argument.
2: Yes. Ab- no. I don't think we had a single one. And that is so true. And you know, with some with some hindsight, I, I understand now that love is is a good. There's a good psychological term, and it's called unconditional love. And that is. You know, loving the tiger in spite of his spots and realizing that you will never change the person's spots and that um, it is crazy to to, to fall in love with your idealized notion of a person. And if the person that you're having a relationship isn't who you want them to be at this point in time, they are never going to be who you want them to be.
1: But but with a guy like this, he seems like everything you could possibly want
2: except for the fact that he's married.
1: He yes. seemed like yes. your dream guy.
2: He was absolutely my dream man and it was the most devastating thing. Um every day for at least a year it was like grief, and anyone that has lost a loved one in their life would know that, you know, pretty much 24/7 for every waking moment in your life. When you lose that person, you can't stop thinking about them. And then, you know, after the second year, you might find that you've only thought about them once a day. And after the third year, you might discover that you've only thought about them once a month. And it was a grieving process that I went for, for uh, you know, with John, with the breakdown of the relationship with. John and it was very much like grief and i suspect you know a lot of your listeners would would identify with that you know a lost love is a is a dreadful thing
1: yeah We are on Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. We are on webtalkradio.net. We're talking to author Holly Hill. Her book is actually called Sugar Babe. I purposely haven't talked about it yet because that's a whole different phase and a different story after um, this affair. But before we go into talking about how the Sugar Babe book Got in there. One thing I want to just talk a bit of, with you about, because you're a psychologist too, you understand it, and now you've been through that personal experience, the, the the mourning and the grief that goes on at the end of a relationship, and I can identify so wholeheartedly with that because I went through a divorce a, a year ago, and I felt like I was in mourning, yet because I had decided I was the one who wanted to leave the relationship. Um, nobody sort of understood that I was mourning. Uh, and it was very, very, very difficult. And I think a lot of people go through this. Um, and I also had another relationship in which it ended very abruptly and I felt, oh my god, I'm dying. Um, and you're in a grieving process and you go through the stages and you're figuring out, how am I gonna live without this person? And this is the most horrible thing that happened. But yet, when you're in relationships where, one, it, it's the nature of the type of relationship you are in. You are in a relationship with a married man, therefore people say, yeah, get what you deserve. You should have, it should have been that way. Okay? And so, there's those people who are very hard on you because you're in a, a let's call it a non-sanctioned type relationship. Um and I've had that experience but also because I decided that my marriage wasn't right for me and I walked away from it and decided I want a new life there was also that you get what you deserve but the mourning's still the same isn't it
2: absolutely it, it doesn't change even if you make the decision to end you know the relationship there is that period of mourning and One of the important things I think that we all need to tell ourselves when our relationships end and especially if we have been lucky enough to have children out of that relationship is that relationships don't fail as such relationships merely change and that if you're a 13 year old little girl and you know your, your parents are talking about how the relationship is has failed and how the marriage has failed you would be horribly hurt by that and like you I, I was a child of divorce and uh, um, it was awful when my parents were describing their relationship and they would say that they had, their marriage had broken down and failed I thought I was somehow the cause of that and that my parents didn't love each other anymore because of me so when we talk about our relationships as well and to somehow avoid some of this grieving that we do is to think well the relationship changed and maybe I had some personal growth and maybe that's why I'm no longer attracted to the person that I was and you know so perhaps we'd need to try and turn it around and soften that grieving process by trying to think of it as a positive thing, that our lives have somehow changed, we're a different person, we've had personal growth, and that it is a good thing, but it it's, it takes a lot of, you know, mental effort to try and put yourself in that mindset when your heart is broken.
1: It sure is. I, <laughs> I can identify with that. Well, yep. you know, one thing that people said to me, um, and, and, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I felt like... I'm the successful doctor. I've done all these things great. I went to an Ivy League school. I graduated from medical school with honors. I've been a chief resident. I've done la, la, la. Yeah. And I failed at the most important thing that I can do in life. I failed at my marriage. And I felt so much guilt and shame. And then I started to meet people in other arenas that said, you were married for 22 years. That's a victory. You
2: didn't tell it anything. A twenty-two <laughs> year, you know, marriage with a high-flying career—that's not only a victory; that makes you a hero.
0: You <laughs> well, are a thank hero
2: <laughs> to have a marriage like that. You know, it's and we need to stop beating ourselves up about these things. You know you're a hero, Doctor Veronica, and um, I'm sure that I suspect a lot of your your listeners would think the same way.
1: Yeah, but that's not what we're told, and especially when you come from um, a religious, especially religiously conservative bend. Um, and I believe that our country, even though we're trying to be open, liberal, liberal, and politically correct, we tend to have certain views. You're supposed to marry one person. You're supposed to stay married to them forever. Better or worse, richer or poorer, till death do us part. And that's just the way it's supposed to be. And if you do it any differently, then you didn't really make it. So I think that our culture enforces us or forces us to feel like that if we don't do it that way, if we're not married for 50, 75 years and we walk down the aisle and then walk to the grave hand in hand, we didn't make it and we didn't do things right. And you say about that what?
2: To me, that would say that you have been unable to achieve personal growth or perhaps you are lucky enough to achieve personal growth in the same direction. So I suspect the only people that are truly able to achieve personal growth in the same direction maybe someone that is running a, a husband and wife that are running a business together perhaps and they see the same people they go to the same places they have the same appointments and yeah perhaps those two people may be able to achieve personal growth in the same direction but if, if wife is staying at home or or looking after the farm or, or whatever it is and, and he's going into the office and, and working a day job or uh, you know picking crops um you have two people that are interacting with two different sets of people uh they're doing different jobs um and they're developing personal growth they are going in separate areas so it is naive to expect that the person that you love will grow in exactly the same way as as you are and so if if a you know husband and wife are lucky enough to be able to do that Oh, they are better than any lottery winner ever imaginable. They have got the, they have hit it lucky and I envy those people because they're a rarity.
1: But it is like a lottery as you say and the odds of winning a lottery are lower than one in a million if you think about it. So, I mean, one of the things that I think we're also confused about and you're, we're talking about new paradigms and relationships and we're going to get more into your story. And new paradigms in relationships, because we've reached a new time where people are living longer um women are now in a position and have been for at least a you know a good generation or two where we're walking out free and independent and contributing to the world, and so therefore we do have more opportunity and there and we're and we're changing and growing more. It used to be that our men changed and grow and they went out and got another woman, and you just stayed there as the woman now. Women are not dealing with that necessarily, especially professional women, because they're realizing that they have options and opportunities too. So now let's just get back a little bit more into your story because it gets even more interesting after that. If you don't think that's interesting, this gets even more interesting to me. <laughs> you're, you're, you're left high and dry. You're distraught, but you got bills to pay. So what do you do next?
2: Well, what I did next was I practically had a fisticuff with my best friend and in a, as a professional woman you would understand that to to get employment in a in a in a professional capacity takes probably on average at least a month from go to woe because you're applying for jobs you're putting your resume to companies you've got agencies representing you you have selection panels you often have second and third interviews and then sometimes you even have a probationary period so I was looking at nil income for at least probably two months.
1: Yeah, I was going to uh, say a month. is, so is probably So I needed
2: immediate income, yeah. and <laughs> my friend said, "You know, I'm bemoaning this fact, and and you know, how am I I'm going to to pay these bills?" And I had a this was on the Monday, and I had a mortgage uh, payment due the following Monday, and I'm saying to my friend, "I, you know, you know, very upset. What am I going to do?" And he said why don't you uh, become a, a sugar babe? He said, you are well-spoken, you have the psychology background, you're a good counselor, you look good, um, you are a good companion, you're an entertaining conversationalist. He said, why don't you become a sugar babe? And I looked at him and I said, "What? What is a sugar babe?" Uh, to be honest, I didn't actually even know at this stage. And this friend of mine was gay as well, so he was a little bit perhaps well versed in in those things than I was. And he said, "Well, it's a it's a woman that is exclusive to one man." He said, "You would not be suited to be a, a a sex worker in the normal sense of the word, in that you only like one man. You've always been monogamous. You that's your personality. So why don't you do this? Why don't you consider this?" And I was horrified. You know, my mother was a feminist and I was just, dev- you know, devastated in many ways. I was like, how dare you suggest that?
1: Yes, but and, you, you
2: turned the corner pretty quickly, though. Oh, I was horrified. And the weird thing was, though, and, and I actually left shortly after in a little bit of a huff. <laughs> and, um, but I was driving home and I was thinking and I I was thinking about what he said and, so, uh, you know, I, this by this stage, my pulse had increased and my heart was pounding, and I thought, this is a way, this is a way. And um by the time I got home, I thought, well, look, I'll, I'll draft an ad, and, and then, you know, if I still feel the same way, I'll, I'll, I'll post it. And I didn't even look at, at the internet or anything. I, I kind of pretty much said all the things he said. I said I'm, I'm good conversationalist, the psychology background, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I said I'm looking for one man. Who will provide me with a wage, and I will be available for him 24/7? And drafted this ad, and then I looked on a on you know a website. I did a search on Sugar Babe, and there was a website where men were uh, homosexual men were selling themselves to other men. Wow! <laughs> and I didn't even read the other ads because I was too frightened, almost. Uh, you know, I didn't want to really think too much about this. I just wanted to to do something and and. So I posted the ad um, and I thought, well, you know, I can always just, just say no or close down the, the you know, it was a classified ad site, Sure. just ignore the responses. And so I posted the ad. And, and, and how were and, you um, feeling,
1: though, when you were doing this? Do you feel like, oh, my God, I've reached a new low in my life?
2: Yes. I was, I, I was crossing all my boundaries. You know, I was the, the, the girl who you know you have to have less than 3 lovers when you grow up before you get married this was the bravest thing i had ever done and i was terrified and i actually kind of posted the ad i hit the the, the reply button and do you know i i went immediately to bed and i kind of put the pillow over my head and and went to sleep amazingly enough were you feeling and...
1: like guilt and shame at that point
2: Um, to be honest, I don't know what I was feeling, Dr. Veronica. It was, it was sheer, my heart was pounding. My adrenaline was racing. I don't think I was feeling guilt and shame. I was feeling like, I guess, a desperate woman more than anything. I was, you know, I had always paid my mortgage bills and my electricity bills. And I felt like I was a desperate woman. And I think every woman in the world feels that at some stage of her life and that you need to do things that you wouldn't normally do in order to keep on going. Well, you know, it's something
1: that I got to just share and it's interesting and people are going to look and say, "Oh my god, how could she think that?" I just remember um in 2008 in New York City, Elliot New York, Elliot Spitzer, um his affair or whatever you want to call it came out with a call girl and I'm looking at this and there was a whole big expose about the women who do these type of things and it showed that he had paid her like five thousand dollars or something like that and they were calling him cheap because he only paid five thousand dollars because normally they paid you know eight ten thousand dollars for these type of things. And they started doing a whole expose on that particular type of industry everywhere in the news. And I remember seeing a young woman who um, talked about how she used to fly on private planes from New York to California just to get her hair and nails done. And at that moment, as I stood there and looked, and my life was just feeling miserable at that point, I'm in my office, I'm a physician. I'm struggling to make money. Patients are arguing with me over copays, insurers aren't wanting me to pay. Lawyers are trying to hunt you down, and I felt like I was the stupid one at that point. I felt like that woman has everything I want to have. She has the life I want to live. And people are talking about her and trying to disparage her, but she's the one who's smart because she's getting all that she wants from a material standpoint. And Guess what? These agencies have rules to protect these girls. And so if I go out and I'm go to have sex with somebody, you better have protected sex with me. There ain't going to be none of this Russian roulette of unprotected sex. And then you're going to whine me and you're going to die me and you're going to do all these different things. And in return, I will, these are the things that I will do for you. So I felt like I'm the stupid one here, and the world has really duped me. They're trying to make me feel like there's something wrong. And guess what? I can do it better than her. I can do it better than her because I'm educated. I can play the piano. I can dance. I can sing. I can talk about Chaucer um, <laughs> and entertain and look beautiful and all these other types of things. And so you know what I decided at the point? If I could have my dream career, if I could have my dream career, I wouldn't I wouldn't be a call girl like that. I'd be a geisha girl because actually if you're a geisha girl and a really high-end one, it's not necessarily all about having sex either. I could go and I could entertain men. And entertaining <laughs> men means I learn how to serve tea and I might do something entertaining for you and we'll have interesting conversation and la-di-da-di-da. And maybe I'll have sex, but I will have sex to the highest bidder and somebody of my choosing. When I decide yes. that I want to have sex, we will have wooed each other and I will have had the choice. And this is a different this is what I said, you know, if I could if I could have, you know, my dream thing and, you know, not worry about how my sons would think about me I <laughs> I'd be I'd be a geisha girl. And so I completely understand how you could say, Okay, maybe I should consider this. So you go out there, you go to sleep, the pillows over your head and what happens the next day?
2: This was where the empowerment kicked in. This was where my every myth as a, as a country girl was shattered. Um, my little ad, over the course of the next four days, and it was only four days, um, my ad received 11,000 hits. 11,000. 11,000. 11,000. And there were hundreds. Hundreds of emails in the inbox by people who wanted to, to to use my services. And wow. Shattered every single myth that I had as both a woman, as a feminist, because the really weird thing was that I felt empowered. I had men, and I had an, a, 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 an inbox full of applications from men who wanted to spend time with me. And even as a as a as a girl trying to enter the dating world, it wasn't like that. You know, I I didn't get to ask you know the the the, the important questions, but I had you know hundreds of men, all of whom wanted to be with me and to pay for the privilege of being with me.
1: Okay, so now what I need to know is, okay, I'm out there. I'm interested in dating. Mats.com, I've been getting lots of just ordinary guys. And, you know, there are guys, I'm sorry, you're the salt of the earth and you're beautiful and you're taking care of your families and doing the right thing. I know there are lots of people like that. It's a little bit ordinary for me. I'm just not that ordinary. I need somebody strong and unique. So is this something I should do? Should I put an ad and say, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that? because i mean just on the dating scene looking for somebody if if you think about it for somebody who's like me and you sound like you were similar in 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 personality you're attractive and you well read and professional would it be better for me to put an ad out there and say here's what i can do for you and here's how much it's going to cost interestingly enough i yeah, i think you're right
2: i think if if uh... I'd actually tried uh, uh, on RSVP. Do you have RSVP here in the states? It's a dating website, and yeah. I kept kind of getting these people that misrepresented themselves as you know this is is before the Sugar Babe days, and uh,
1: it's not just misrepresentation. It's there, there, there is that. It's just. I am who I am and when I get guys that are, um, you know, like there's a lot of honest people out there that are gainfully employed, but let's just face it. I'm a physician and if you're, if you can't keep up with me from an intellectual standpoint, I'm going to be bored and you're going to feel yep. not so good about yourself. Yep. So there needs to be a certain type of person that's going to do that. And I think that men stretch up especially when they see your picture. They see somebody who's attractive, and so therefore they think, even though um, I'm the school janitor, I'm going to try to go for this woman who's yeah. obviously very educated and well-read. And so you have to wheeze through all that type of stuff, and then it just gets tiring. I just got to the point where I was like, delete, 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 delete. I mean, one of, yep. my, one of my male friends got mad at me because he said I was too hard on guys, and you know, yep. he, he used to tease me about deleting. But, I mean, I feel like... There's 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 no extraordinary men out there, um, and it's not just a financial thing either. It's not just a financial thing. Um, there's there's lots of other qualities that go into making a good man, as as you know. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not. What I'm trying to figure out is for those of us who are professional women, and and for African American women, this is a huge huge problem because there's a lot more well read professional African American women than there are men. What what would you recommend that we do this type of thing? Because let me just tell you the other interesting thing about my life. I just found out through dating that I appear to be more desirable to men outside my race than inside, and not mm-hmm. just guys trying to bed me. In our culture, we have been taught as black women that white men and other men only want you to be their bed wench. They just want to sleep with you. And i yep. got to say that I have been pleasantly surprised that that has not been the case. I've met some really nice guys who are very professional and nice. Who it that that's what what it wasn't just they were trying to have their black bed experience. They were happy to have you as a good woman, um, and actually realize your merits maybe better than some of their own women who just want to get them and spend their money. So what what would you recommend that women like me, especially you know only 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 30% of black women are married. So would you recommend that this might be an approach that some of us want to take? Do
2: you know, yes. Uh, Do you know what the the thing that changed everything was putting a price on my head. Which was how much? And know yourself, if you get something for free and you get something (laughs) that you've paid a lot for, you will treat the thing that you've paid a lot for much better than you would treat the thing that you've got for free. Okay, so how
1: much did you ask?
2: Well, I was apparently the laughing stock of the entire world's sex industry because I didn't you, know how much sex enough. workers charged. I charged. I ad, actually added up my um, household expenses and I budgeted very cheaply. I added them up to be about 850 a week. I thought well, it'll cost me probably about another 150 on top of that in, in luxuries to provide to these men, so I put $1,000 a week on my head. <laughs> and apparently... That was extraordinarily cheap, and um there were a lot of sex workers out there saying, "Look at this stupid woman. How naive is she <laughs> But at least I got to pay my bills, which is that was really why I was doing it.
1: so like, okay, you got eleven thousand ads in the inbox
2: did you Were
1: you just overwhelmed at that point? How did you go through what What did you think at that point? Were
2: you ecstatic? Were you stunned? What did you do? I was, I was stunned. I was a little turned on. Um, and that was in itself was kind of weird to feel like that, that, you know, there was suddenly a, a stable full of potential men. Um, I was very empowered and, My training in psychology, the the slant I take is I use a lot of uh, carthesis in in my work with uh, people that um, have problems and I get them to write their problems down and uh, what that does is once they've kind of set it in stone their mind can stop thinking about the problem you know they can move on to something else so it's a large part of my treatment for people and so reading people's uh, propositions to me their applications if you like it was very easy to sort the wheat out from the chaff and so even though I had hundreds (laughs) of, of men to deal with I really only had to to give a quick glance through each one of their application letters if you like to sort out a short list Okay. So, what did you narrow it down to? I narrowed it down to interviews with about 80 men. Um, 80. and again, I condensed this, uh, for the book. Um, Ooh. but yeah, I but narrowed I, it down to even, about 80 men. I can't
1: even imagine having 80 viable men to pick from. I, I would be overwhelmed. I've never had that experience in my life of 80 men that seem like they could be viable. Of anything for me, n- n- you know, friends, just a friend. 80 every p- 80 men, it just sounds overwhelming. So what process? So did you interview 80 men?
2: Um, no, what I did is I went through a, a second selection process in much the same way as a as a job interview. You know, I was a professional woman. I was used to being screened for, for positions and so I I very much used the uh the the professional model of employment really. So I went through a second screening process. Um I would you know, I wrote to them and I said, Look, you've made the, the short list, can you tell me anything further about yourself? And at that stage I began asking the personal questions, you see. So I didn't want to, to get with men who, for example, were into BDSM or, you know, some of these kinkier things. I wanted a a normal man that, you know, loved his mother and, and hopefully wasn't lying to his wife. That was another thing. I wanted, really, at that stage, I wanted... Um, I was naive enough to think I could get single men, hopefully, or, or men who perhaps their, their wives um, had died or, you know, widowers. Um, so at this stage, I was asking the questions, you know, who are you? Why do you want to, to become my sugar daddy? Um, are you kinky? <laughs> Those types of things. And then I was able to, to prune the list down even further so that in the end, I made coffee dates with probably about 40 men.
1: 40 coffee dates. Well, let me just say we are on Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica on webtalkradio.net. We are talking to Holly Hill. She is the author of book Sugar Babes, and if you're interested in getting the book, you can get it anywhere. This book has been a bestseller in Australia. It's now just came on sale here in America. You can get it at any book outlet. You can get it on Amazon.com, or if you want more information about Holly, you know you always can get things on the DrVeronica.com website, and I have, I'm i so fascinated with this. I want to get right back into this. Now, there's something that you said interesting. You said, I was naive enough to think that I could get single men or widowed men or something like that. Um, I assume when you said you were naive enough, that's not mostly what you got. What did you get?
2: I guess there was three main types of men. Um, There were a single men group. Um, They were basically young, wealthy men who had very big jobs. And they didn't have time to, uh, to woo women. So they didn't have time to, to go to bars or to, to restaurants. Uh, and so they didn't have time, I guess, to, to, put in to finding a girlfriend and then meeting her family and doing all of those things. The second type of, of group of men were middle-aged men whose wives are superheroes, really. Their wives are raising families at the same time as often having full or part-time jobs and who are and should be exhausted at the end of every day and that don't want to have sex with their husbands. And I think you know most women probably sitting at home would understand completely that we all go through periods like that, but uh, the men in our lives still want to have sex, unfortunately, and there was a large group of those type of people. And then the third group were older men who had arrangements with their wives, if you like. Their wives tended to look the other way in inverted commas and they're the men that we hear about when they die often and they will um they'll have a long-term mistress and uh, she will receive part of the inheritance in the will and and no one seems to blink an eyelid at these days so there are the three main groups and um I ended up actually going for the third group if and when in uh, favoring those people because I was a little bit worried I might fall in love with the younger single man, and my heart was broken, if you recall, and I sure. wanted to keep my heart safe. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, so um, did you end up, What? which guy did you end up with, which type?
2: I ended up with a, a gentleman a, who his wife hadn't had sex with him for eight years. How many? Eight years. Eight, eight years. years. Uh, eight he- years.
1: And, so, and and wait, Now th- this is what I don't understand. And I, I'm asking this out there to women, okay? And I'm asking to you, and you've had experience now with many men who've had this type of story. And I've met through my dating experience many men whose wives don't have sex with them. But what I don't understand is if women aren't going to have sex with their men, why do they think that the men are not going to go out and have sex? Why do they think that those men are supposed to be, um um monogamous
2: and just celibate basically why do women think that it's it's quite cruel in many ways and as a as a doctor you would understand oh i think it's cruel it, it, yeah the urge to have sex in men is generated from exactly the same part of the brain and the same chemicals as the urge to eat another piece of chocolate cake or when we're a little bit overweight, it is the urge to have a Mars bar. It is exactly the same chemicals generated from exactly the same part of the brain. So a woman that tells her husband or expects her husband to cross his legs and to think of England, as we say in Australia, I don't know if you have that position, the saying here, no. is, is, <laughs> is torturing her husband. And a monogamous man who manages to stay monogamous and not get sexual relief from his wife for any long term is a hero. And a cheating man is normal.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we don't want to think of it that way. I always say that. Having multiple sexual partners is actually a natural thing, not just for men, but for women, too. And why do I say that? I'm not trying to tell everybody. I'm not trying to upset the new world. I'm not trying to upset the world order. I'm not trying to do that. However, as a scientist, when you look at the animal kingdom, animals have sex with multiple partners, even one after the other on the same day, okay? And the men are wooing the women and it's I'm saying men, but the male animals are wooing the female animals. Um, There's even studies on penises that make it more difficult for the females to have sex after them to try to, you know, propagate their own genetic material. Um, So in the animal kingdom, there are very few animals that are monogamous. I think there's the prairie vole, and there's one other animal where – they mate for life and even when the mate dies I can't remember what this is and I'm sure somebody's listening and saying what it is right now but even when the mate dies that that the one that's left will not go with someone else but I I think there's like two instances in um nature now people will say well we're not animals especially religious people oh my god this is heresy you know I'm talking devil stuff right here but we are we're mammals we are mammals homo sapiens are mammals and we want to touch and we want to cuddle and we want to propagate and we want to bear children. The reason why women go into nesting and they want to get a guy and they want the guy that has a certain figure because you're, those things about propagating your own genetic material are there. And you're going to do it. And men are going to do it and women are going to do it too. So I don't believe that we're wired to be monogamous. Now, I believe that there we've been taught, especially as women, that there's some virtue in not liking sex or being sexual. Okay, there's still this good girl, bad girl thing. So if you say you like sex as a woman, people are gonna raise their eyebrows at you. Not just women. Men, men, men will raise their eyebrows at you because they're trying to figure out how to get so. Probably. <laughs> I mean, let me, women, let me tell you how many of your men are looking at me, okay? Let me just tell you that. And I, I mean, I, I can't get mad at them because I think it's a natural male thing. So I don't think, oh, God, he's a dog because he's looking. Um, I, one thing I do think, though, is I wonder if his wife is feeding him at home because I think that guys who are fed at home tend to stray a lot less. And so these Absolutely. women, you're not having sex with your husband. Just expect that he ha- he's having sex with somebody else. You're being cruel, and you need not to do that. And I don't care that you're a feminist and you don't feel like it. Fake it until you make it. Because a lot of times you realize that when you do fake it, that, um, you, first of all, you, you start to enjoy it, okay? And then I, I figured, I, I have another theory the more you do it, let's say you've got a guy that you say he's on me all the time. Do it, 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 and do it some more, and guess what? He will calm down, and then you'll have sex at a more appropriate time frame, okay? It won't be crazy because he won't be starving all the time, okay? So he's going to be going for it all the time because you're starving him, just like a fat person who feels like they need more food, that guy's going to be trying to get it any way he can. And so and he'll be, be coming
2: home with flowers and chocolates rather than being late home from the pub. <laughs> Don't forget that. <laughs> yeah. So now
1: you, so now you take up with this guy who's, who's um wife hadn't had sex with him in eight years. <laughs> I feel so bad <laughs> for the man. And there are many men out there like that. Um And women, if you're listening and you're like that, no, you're putting yourself at risk. You're putting your marriage at risk and, um, I mean, I don't feel that they're wrong for going out and feeling a need because sex is considered a need.
2: It is. Sex is like eating. Sex is like breathing. It is a need, and you're absolutely right, Dr. Veronica. And we aren't designed to be monogamous. And we also want our 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 partners, the people that we love, to be happy. And to be satisfied so that, you know, if a a woman isn't getting enough food, you would give her food. If a man isn't getting enough sex, you'd give him sex. And that's what you do for the people you love.
1: Well, and another thing people do is when they're angry at somebody, they say, oh, I'm not having sex with you because you're angry. And the interesting thing, if you use the food analogy, most people don't say, I'm angry at you, so I'm not cooking your food. Yes. And, and just yes. think about like how you treat your children. You would never consider withholding anything from them. If this is your spouse that you love, why are you withholding something that you know that they need?
2: Yes, absolutely. And, you, you know, you were talking about, uh, you know, you do it, do it, do it. One of the, the things that women might like to consider, and, and I know this is probably um, quite blasphemous, but anyway, I will say it anyway. If you're not in the mood, and your husband is, and you're like me, I'm a professional woman, I go to the gym, I hop on the exercise bike for 40 minutes before I do my workout, if you're not in the mood, consider it your daily workout. I mean, why on earth would you go to the gym and ride an exercise bike for 40 minutes, then when you get home and your husband says, can we have sex, would you cross your legs? What you can do (laughs) is make it your workout. And I do Pilates, and Pilates is uh, is about clenching your pelvic floor and breathing out for every exertion. So you can, it, it comes across to sex quite well. I think I might foster a movement called Sex Pilates, actually. And, <laughs> I love um, it. I love it. You know, you make it your daily workout, so you can keep your husband as happy as a pig in mud. Develop a nice strong pelvic floor and get washboard stomach muscles at the same time. Yeah, and let
1: me just say, I say, ride on cowboy because you know the cowgirl, you're on top of (laughs) your (laughs) bird.
2: You're
1: you're on top, you're getting your calories and so women use this. You know, get your Pilates, get your you know, ride. (laughs) exactly why are you going to ride an exercise bike when you can ride your man (laughs) well I mean but one of the other issues that happens with women is you start feeling bad about yourself and so you know you're going to gym trying to look good yes you need to be in shape and looking good and things like that because the other thing that happens with a lot of men is the women let themselves go and get out of shape yeah and so they don't desire their wife anymore now we all are going to age but we need to figure out how to age gracefully, so that we still look attractive and appropriate for what are what the number of years that we have on us. And that means that trying to keep yourself in shape, keeping your hair done, keeping your nails done. I mean, I tell everybody I have a Victoria's Secret wardrobe. Okay, I mean, my uh, sometimes I look better under my clothes than what I'm wearing. Okay, I don't own a pair of white cotton underwear. I don't own a pair of cotton underwear. They're all beautiful. They're all in sets. They all look sexy. And guess what? I wear this all the time, whether I'm with a man or without a man, because I feel good about me. And another thing is you feel good about me, you're going to be incredibly sexy to men.
2: Exactly and and you know you were talking about the biology of men and this is where that comes in in that number one you know if you want to ruin your marriage you cross your legs but number two is you let yourself go because part of that biology part of that Darwinian fitness of our men is a strong sense of competition between men that's why our men like to play sport and to be you know big giant you know rugby players and things in in front of in front of audiences and So if you let yourself go and your husband's mates are all kind of thinking, oh, well, he mustn't be very good because look at his wife. She looks dreadful. He loses face. But if he has a wife or a a girlfriend that is attractive and that he knows and he can sense all of his friends thinking, oh, how nice is she? That gives him face. He will look after you better. He will be more attentive. He will be rushing home from the pub because they'll all be saying, "God, aren't you getting home to your wife? I would be if I was married to her."
1: And this is what it is. This is why men go out and get trophies. But you can stay a trophy. I think there's a there's a new trophy wife, and the trophy wife is not just, you know, the the tall, buxom, blonde Barbie. That's not the trophy wife. The, the trophy wife of today, especially among a lot of accomplishment, are women like me and you, who yep. are attractive, who are well read who have their own careers uh, you know so not only can we talk to them and we we can travel in their circles and also be despised for them <laughs> yes. I, I, When when i was married my husband worked in this very high in place and i was expected to be looking and listening for what was going on whenever we were someplace together it was part of my job that we were a partnership and I'm looking and listening. Now that meant that not only do I walk in there looking pretty and knowing how to, to conduct myself and speaking correctly and all that other type of thing, it means that I'm there to further the vision of the family to make us have more of the pieces of the pie.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: This is the new trophy wife women. Absolutely. Okay. And, and really highly intelligent men realize that too. Anyway, we have been talking to author Holly Hill. Her book is called Sugar Babe. It just came out, and you can get it on in any book outlet, um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Holly loves you to, to, to communicate with her. And I'm going to stay in touch with Holly and let people get, get, have an update because I want to know what's going on in America in this standpoint. But she has a Facebook page under Holly Hill Author. So send her notes. She loves to hear from you. I'm going to, like, friend Holly so I can know what's going on. And I'm going to keep in touch with Holly and tell her what's going on in my personal life, too. Because, you know, I am I'm looking for a partner. I would like to have the right gentleman or plural in my
2: life. <laughs> I'm being <laughs> flexible and open. Um, so thank you, Holly. Thank you very much. It's just been wonderful to talk to you. And, and it is it is is. Is so it makes you feel so good when there are such switched on people around that um, uh, are, are happy to talk about these things and at least put them on the table and and have people thinking well you know maybe a life a relationship for an entire lifetime with my soulmate can happen and i will never ever have to be suspicious again wonderful